0: Some of you may wonder, what do pastors do during the week, right? We only work on Sundays, so what actually happens during the week? And speaking for myself, when, when I'm not translating ancient Aramaic or Akkadian documents into English for the neighborhood kids, <laughs> I like to watch a little TV with the family. And uh, over the years, one of our favorite shows uh, was one about a brilliant detective who suffered from obsessive compulsive disorder. Some of you know the show. I'm not going to mention the show's name. I wasn't compensated for mentioning it. <laughs> the show lasted for seven, uh, several seasons, and it was actually a lot of fun to watch, not only because it was very funny, but because this uh, brilliant detective and the things that he was able to do were really kind of remarkable. His sharp memory, his attention to detail meant that, that no clue was overlooked, and as a result, he solved every case except one. Years earlier, his wife had died in a car explosion. And no matter how hard he tried, he could not solve the mystery of her death. And over eight seasons, the show continued to return to that storyline, each time adding an agonizingly small piece to the puzzle until he solved it in the final episode of the final season. Spoiler alert. On the day she died, the detective's wife gave him a gift and told him, you can't open this until Christmas. But after she died, he couldn't open it at all. And so there it sat, unopened, year after year on the shelf. Now I know what you're thinking. I hope it wasn't a puppy. (laughs) It was not a puppy. In the final episode of the series, upon learning that he had been poisoned and probably only had a day or two left to live, he decided to open his wife's gift. And there in dramatic fashion, the gift exposed the answers, gave him the answers to the question of who killed her. It was both satisfying and frustrating at the same time. It was satisfying because like, okay, finally we know who did it. He finally solved that last case. It was frustrating because who waits eight years to open a gift? I know people who open Christmas gifts early in spite of dire warnings to the contrary. And God knows who those people are. (laughs) And he knows where they're seated in this sanctuary. Now, you're asking, where in the world does this fit into the Lord's Prayer? Well, I'm, I'm getting there. It actually does. The little gift that sits unopened for years on the shelf. The gift that holds the answers to our problems and to our questions. The gift that is so close to us at all times, for many of us, that is the gift of prayer. And I'm not saying that we never pray. I think it's very safe to say that all of us pray, at least a little. Even people who don't believe in the power of prayer actually pray. And I would even say that I I think objectively speaking that I pray more now than I've ever prayed in my life. And yet, I think God is only opening my eyes more to see how little I actually do pray in comparison to how much I ought to pray or could pray. Many of us are more likely to say, hey Siri, than Heavenly Father. Why is that? Why is it that prayer can be so difficult. Well, one of my seminary professors, I think, really helped me to understand why this is. He said, the essence of prayer, what prayer really boils down to, is dependence upon God. We go to Him with our need, with our requests, with our questions, and we lay ourselves out before Him and say, I can't do this on my own. So prayer Its core is dependence upon God. But sin, at its core, is independence from God. It's a running away from God. It's an unwillingness to submit to God. It's a desire to say, I can do this on my own, Lord, I I don't need you. And so it's a constant battle. Prayer can be so difficult because everything that's in us, the sinful nature is moving us away from God. It's a spiritual battle. That's what the Bible says, we are at war. We need prayer and we need to pray. And Jesus knew that. Jesus knew that and he gave us this prayer, what we know as the Lord's Prayer or the the prayer for the disciples. And it's a prayer, a pattern for prayer that mature and maturing Christians ought to pray. And in our passage this morning, Jesus teaches us to submit to God the Father and to ask for big things. Little things too, but here, big things. Big things that we need to ask God for. Things that we may not even realize that we need, but we do. And so my hope and prayer this morning is that through this message, all of us will come to a greater understanding of how important prayer is. And praying the things that Jesus commanded us to pray here. And prayer in our lives will never be like an unopened gift that sits on the shelf for years. Let's read the whole Lord's Prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, our passage this morning is only one of those verses, verse 10, which says, Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. There are only 14 words in this verse. Six of the words have only two letters. Did you catch that? Maybe not. That's the kind of research I put into this sermon. Now, some of you are thinking, hey, great, short verse, we're going to get out early. And I'm thinking to myself, you must be new to church. It doesn't work that way. Even though this is a short verse with a lot of short words in it, it is incredibly important for the Christian, and it's incredibly important for the world as well. But one problem I was reminded of this week when I was preparing this sermon is that short verses can actually be very difficult to outline for a sermon, so I gave up. Instead, I'd like to approach this passage by asking four questions. The first is, what is prayer? The second, why pray? Third, what do these requests mean? And fourth, why does Jesus tell us to pray for these things? What is prayer? Why pray? What do these particular requests in verse 10 mean? And then why does Jesus want us to pray these things? So we begin with, what is prayer? In one respect, prayer is pretty easy to define, right? A lot of people have said, well, prayer is just talking to God. Years ago, one of my brother, brothers was telling me that he overheard his daughter, his young daughter pray when he put her to bed. And basically what she did was just kind of walk God through her day. Well, God, we, I had breakfast this morning and then mom had to get ready. And then we went to the zoo. And then we went to grandma's house, which was a lot of fun. And now I'm in bed. Amen. That was her prayer. And I think that's a fine prayer for a two or three year old. Those of us who are older, I think probably more is expected of us. One pastor defined prayer this way. As intentionally transmitting a message to God. Sounds a little formal, doesn't it? But his point was an important one. He defined it that way because he was saying we actually communicate with God all the time. Even when we're ignoring him. And so prayer, he said, was intentionally transmitting a message to God. So that's a sobering thought, I think, that even when we're ignoring God, we're actually communicating with him. You know, the talking to God part always came easily for me. I like to talk. So that part of prayer was never really difficult for me. But the deeper meaning and purposes of prayer, I feel like I'm still working on. The Lord is continually to, to help me understand the depth of prayer and its real meaning and what it means in my life and what God is offering me through this gift of prayer. I don't know that I would have admitted it to anyone, and maybe you haven't either, but uh, there are times when I've looked at prayer simply as a way to get things that I wanted, right? That prayer was just something that I needed to go to God because I couldn't get this myself. So I had to go to God and ask him for these things. There was the 10-speed bike that I couldn't afford when I was little, There was that cute girl that wasn't going to like me apart from divine intervention. So I prayed for that. There was a test that there was no way that I was going to pass if preparation on my part was a requirement to pass. And so I brought that before the Lord. And also, of course, swift judgment on my enemies. Yeah, you've prayed that too. Have you ever come to the point where you thought prayer doesn't work? It just doesn't work because you've prayed for something, perhaps for a long time, perhaps something very important to you, and you didn't get it. Or you wanted to get rid of it, and you still had it. But I want to encourage you this morning that prayer actually does work. It works very well. It works exactly the way God wants it to work. But you may just be missing the main point of it. You do realize that the creator of the universe can grant any prayer request that you make immediately if He wanted to. If the sovereign Lord of the universe hasn't said yes to your prayer, it's because he has something better for you, at least for now. I read this week a number of articles on prayer, and someone wrote something that I hadn't, uh, hadn't really considered before. God can answer your prayers in the following way. Yes, no, maybe, not yet, and I'm not telling you. Sometimes I think God does that, right? Well, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you that. You have to wait till heaven. The, real, the, the, the key for us, though, is to realize that we are blessed when we submit to our heavenly Father and when we submit to his will. That's the key for us because the disappointment or the pain of not getting the answer that we're seeking, sometimes for a long time, sometimes desperately, all we can do to resolve that is to say, the judge of all the earth shall deal justly. I have to submit myself to his good plan. And you know, I I expect that many of you have experienced what I have over the years, that my understanding of prayer, my experience of prayer, has become more and more focused on fellowship with my Heavenly Father, with communing with Him. It's an ongoing conversation where I'm praising Him and thanking Him and confessing my sins and bringing my requests and asking for His help. It's worship and listening and learning and loving. It's delighting in God's presence. And so his holiness and his grace, his goodness and and his love. And it's also submitting my will to his will and learning to seek his kingdom over mine. And I hope that is increasingly your experience as well. So now we turn to the second question, why pray? Why should we pray? I think there's a lot of reasons to pray. I'm going to go through just four of them that I have found helpful. And the first is this. Prayer changes things. Prayer actually changes things. That may even sound like a contradiction from what I just said. Prayer is primarily uh, communing with the Lord. But the Bible is very clear. You don't have because you don't ask. And some people look and they say, well, I don't understand how that works because God is sovereign, right? And God ordains everything that's going to happen. And so really, what difference does it make? And somebody pointed out, well, if, if, if it's God's will for you to live a long time, that means that you're going to have to eat. That means you're going to have to work. You're going to have to have clothes. So why get a job and why eat if God is sovereign, right? He's just going to take care of all of that. Dr. Samuel Storm has put it this way, that, that God is sovereign. He not only ordains what will happen, but the means by which it will happen. So he said this, we must never presume that God will grant us apart from prayer, What he has ordained to grant us only by means of prayer. He's going to bring about what he wills through the prayers that he has willed and ordained. And if those don't happen, then we're not going to get what he wanted to give us. So we can't turn his sovereignty against us. Prayer changes things. And it's a great motivation to pray. If you're not motivated by that, I encourage you to pray that God would help you to see the difference that prayer makes. Because if you don't believe that prayer makes a difference, you won't pray. It's, it's challenging enough as it is. But once you become convinced from your experience, from the Word of God, that prayer makes a difference, I guarantee you will pray more. And number two, prayer aligns our thoughts with God's. Really, really important. You and I are not God. Honestly, we're not even close. His ways are far above our ways. His thoughts are far above our thoughts. At times, you and I, we're we're like toddlers who are trying to rebuild an engine. And our chubby little fingers can't even hold the tools that we need. And we have no idea what we're doing. That's how we should look at ourselves. A lot less confidence in ourselves and a lot greater confidence in the Lord. When we pray when we submit ourselves to God's will, not telling him what we want, but asking him what he wants for us and through us, then the Holy Spirit guides us into all truth. And we begin to pray more biblically, which means we begin to pray the way God wants us to. We begin to think more like God. And I have personally found that to be extremely refreshing. Third. Prayer matures us as Christians. Prayer changes things. It aligns our thoughts with God's thoughts, which are absolutely critical for us to live the way God wants us to live. But prayer also matures us as Christians. Jesus said in in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. We can't cause ourselves to grow spiritually. That has to be a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And abiding in Christ, as Jesus says here, that includes many things, but prayer, regular communion with our Heavenly Father is one of the most important ones. One pastor put it this way, God has established prayer as the means by which we receive His supernatural help. And without supernatural help, we cannot live a life worthy of the gospel. So prayer matures our faith. If you find that you're struggling in your walk with the Lord, if you were to look back and say, you know, a year ago, I don't think I'm, I'm any more mature spiritually, check out your prayer life. How regularly are you seeking the Lord? Not just praying before meals, which is important and wonderful, but just getting alone and genuinely seeking the Lord. And reading his word and saying, help me understand what you are calling me to do. Help me know your character better. Help me to know who you are. And then finally, the fourth reason that we pray is because it glorifies our Heavenly Father. Prayer glorifies God. By coming to him with praise, with thanksgiving, with confession, and with our needs, with requests to help, we showcase God's glory We showcase his glory by joyfully acknowledging that he is God and that we need him. And he loves that. He loves that. If you've ever had a child come to you and ask you for help, maybe they've come and they've said, can you help me tie my shoe? Or can you help me reach the cookies that are a little bit above where I can reach? you love that. Like, absolutely I want to help you. gives you joy to be able to do that. That's how God is. And so we glorify him when we pray. When we go to him, even with our needs, even with our complaints, and say, Lord, how long? When are you going to act? Help me. Help me to trust you more. We glorify God. So now, what do these particular requests mean? And really there's two. There's two requests that Jesus gives us. The first one is this. Your kingdom come, and then I put as in heaven. Because scholars believe that the as in heaven part doesn't just go with the your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But really it's that your name be hallowed. Your name be made holy on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's kingdom is his reign. It's his rule over every created thing. It's actually a complicated biblical concept, but really it means that He is King over all kings and Lord of all lords. All creation is His. And so we pray, Your kingdom come, not my kingdom come. And that is not a subtle distinction. We pray this because we live in a fallen and broken world where God is not honored, where His kingdom is hidden. It's not acknowledged. People do not submit to the reign and the rule of God, and we see evidence of that all the time. And so we are praying for that very thing. We live in the tension now between those parts of the kingdom of God that have come and those that are yet future. And so when we pray, Your kingdom come, we're actually praying two different things. First, We're praying that more and more people will place their faith in Jesus Christ. And secondly, that God's kingdom will come in its fullness with Jesus' second coming. Those are the two things we're praying for. First, we're praying that more and more people will come to faith in Christ. Our prayer is that God's kingdom, his saving rule, his saving reign over the hearts of men and women will continue to expand until all of his people are saved. Warmth and witness, a map and a list, I truly hope those are familiar to you if you've been a part of Moody Church for the last year or so. It is our mission, it is our God-given mission to see men and women who are far from God come to saving faith in Him. We want to make a difference in this neighborhood If it's true that 95% of the people that are around this church don't know Jesus, that we want to reach them with the gospel. What God has done for us, we want to show them, expose them to, pray that they would be receptive to the gospel as well. I hope that you are an enthusiastic part of that mission. God wants all of us to be involved in it. And secondly, we pray your kingdom When we pray, your kingdom come, we are praying that God's kingdom will come in its fullness. Which really begins with the return of Christ. That's what we're praying for. What the Christian wants more than anything else, because God has put it in our hearts, is for God to be glorified. Before people come to faith in Christ, especially if they're older, they can take the Lord's name in vain, they can hear the Lord's name taken in vain, and they don't think much of it. But once they've known Christ personally, they become very jealous to guard his name. It's far more important to them. It's far more serious for them. Knowing Jesus gives us a sensitivity to how his name is treated. It gives us a longing to know him better and to see him. A longing for his coming. And that's what Jesus' second coming will ultimately bring. It will bring a right to all wrongs through the righteous judgment of God. It will mean the defeat of our enemy and Jesus being revealed so that everyone, everyone will see him as he is, glorious and the Son of God. Read the book of Revelation. You see how it depicts Jesus when he comes back. And we know from the book of Philippians that every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And don't you long for that in your heart? I long for that now. I long for that now for the people that I know and love. Amen. I want them to joyfully acknowledge the Lordship of Christ while there's still time. Not while, as I picture it, there's a hand on their head pressing them down to their knee to acknowledge who Jesus really is. So we are praying that God's word goes forth That lost men and women come to faith in Christ. That should be our passion. That should be our joy. And even while we're praying this, we're asking the Lord, give me a hunger for the people that don't know you. Give me your heart for the lost people in my life. Use me to reach them. And we're also praying for the return of Christ, that God's kingdom, all of the horrible things going on in this world, will come to an end. We pray this for the glory of God and for the good of everyone that is around us. This world is so full of pain and suffering. We pray this for God's glory and the good of everyone we know. The second request is this Your will be done as it is in heaven. And again, note that we're praying that your will be done, not my will. Asking God to make his will done on earth as it is in heaven is obviously related to the first request that God's kingdom be expanded. What is the will of God? Well, simply put, it's what God ordains in the world, what he decrees to happen in the world, but also the righteous behavior that he requires of all of us. That, simply put, is the will of God. We tend to think of the will of God as the job and the spouse and the house that we're looking for. And those are, those are fine things. God has a will. God has a plan for those things. But the emphasis of God's word isn't on finding those things, but on seeking and submitting to the God who will meet all of our needs. So when we pray, when you and I pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are praying that God's will would be done willingly, gladly, immediately, and perfectly, just like the angels do in heaven. Can you imagine that? Imagine if that were true in our world now. God's will, willingly, gladly, immediately, and perfectly fulfilled. So here's the question I want to ask you this morning. Where in your life are you not submitting to God's will? Where in your life are you saying, my will, not your will? And you know we're not above that. None of us are above that. So ask the Holy Spirit, are there areas in my life where what I'm really wanting is my will? I'm praying for my will. I don't want your will. And whatever it is that he reveals and says, this is my will, and it is different from yours, you can trust him. You can trust him that his will is better all of the time. Pursue that. So then finally, what does Jesus tell us? Why does Jesus tell us to pray for these things? Why is it that he wants us to pray for these things? One of the great things I think about kids is they ask a lot of why questions. If you are on a road trip with children and uh, you're lucky enough, you could be asked the why question about 5,000 times, right? I mean, remarkable questions they ask. Why can't I see my own eyes? Why don't humans have tails? Can God put gum in my mouth right now? One of my sons asked me that. Why do I have to eat my broccoli if daddy isn't eating his? I think God likes the why questions more than we think. Not necessarily the why me. Not the whining part probably. He's got to be tired of that by now. But, but the why. Why, Lord? Why would you want me to do this? Why is that your will? Why is that in the Bible? Why are you instructing me this way? I think he likes those questions. I like those questions. I like asking why God of certain things because it, it takes me from the command to the giver of the command. And I see more of the heart of God. And to me that makes all the difference in the world. So why does Jesus want us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? I think there are probably dozens of good answers to that question. We're going to just take time for three. The first is this, God's kingdom has not come on earth and in its fullness and his will is not done on earth. That is not true. God's name is profaned and it's dishonored and people are suffering all around. And so I believe Jesus is telling us to pray this because the need is so great. Imagine our brothers and sisters in countries where they are being profoundly persecuted, imagine how they are praying this. Imagine how much more fervently you would pray, your kingdom come, if you lived and suffered under a God-hating kingdom on earth now, as many Christians do. For God's glory, and for the good of all sinners who need to repent, repent. we should be praying for God's kingdom to come, and for God's will to be done. Second is this, Jesus wants us to lift our eyes from the mundane to the eternal. I know I desperately need that. Isn't it true that so often our prayers are for temporal things? Not necessarily unimportant things, but too often they seem to reflect a, a comfort with this world and a focus on temporal things. Have you ever heard that phrase? Well, that's a first world problem. Maybe you've complained to a friend and they said, oh, yeah, yeah, that's a first world problem. Your pool's dirty? I'm sorry, I'll pray for you. You know? I mean, the reality is, is it's so easy in our culture to focus on things that, while not unimportant, while not unworthy of being prayed for, they shouldn't consume our prayers. And yet too often it seems as if they do. Faithfully praying for these requests, for God's kingdom to come and for his will to be done, They help us to long for the return of Christ. And that's what we should do. We should be looking for the return of Christ. In fact, longing for. That's what 2 Timothy 4, 8 says. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Some translations say longed for his appearing. So pray for little things. God invites you to do that. He wants you to bring those things to Him. But also pray for big things. Pray for the holiness of God's name. Pray for God's kingdom to expand and to come. Pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. All of those things are necessary for us to pray for because that is what puts everything else into perspective. And then finally, praying these requests is a yielding of ourselves to God. It is an act of submission to our Lord and our King. This prayer is a request for God to reign completely in my heart. And when you pray these prayers, it is a request for God to reign completely in your heart. And for us to seek his will over ours then I can tell you that in more than 25 years of ministry, I have found only two reasons why Christians do not find the will of God. The first is that there's some sin in their lives that they are cherishing. The Holy Spirit is convicting them of it, but they have convinced themselves that they're okay and they don't need to deal with it. And the reality is it's very difficult to hear from God if you're ignoring him. The second thing is that they really don't want God's will. They have figured out what it is they want. They don't know whether or not it's God's will. That doesn't really play into it. That's not as important to them. And so they ask God to bless it, but if he won't, they're still going to pursue it. I mean, God's will is not difficult to find. It's not like finding a needle in a haystack where God throws it in and goes, ha, "Good luck finding that." He wants us to walk joyfully in his will. You will find his will if you seek him. No doubt. It is not that difficult. You will find it if you seek Him. Friends, you and I need to submit to God's will in our lives. We need to lay down the pursuit of our personal kingdom and pursue the advance of God's kingdom. And we need to lay down our will for God's will. You may already know what you want out of life. And maybe some of the high school graduates this morning, they have a picture of what they want. And even those that are older, they say, Lord, do I want a well-paying job with a perfect spouse and a large house with an amazing, with amazing landscaping? You know I do. I think I've been pretty clear about that. I've been praying about that for years. But Lord, help me. Help me to want your will over mine. If your will if you glorify yourself in my life and I get none of those things, help me to embrace that with joy. That is not easy. And I'm not pretending that it's easy. But Jesus showed us the way. Before the horrors of the cross, he prayed to his father, take this cup, but not my will be done, your will be done. Can you imagine that? God will not ask us to go through anything more difficult than that. So whatever it is that you want that may not be God's will, can can I just, I I, want to convince you, you do not want what God is not giving you. You do not want what God is not giving you. Do not take what he is not giving you. It will only bring you sorrow. It is not from him. It is from the enemy. One of the most gracious necessary, and powerful gifts from God is the gift of prayer. Prayer is a gift that enables us to experience the abundant life that Jesus came to give us. But if it's on the shelf like an unopened gift, year after year, not experiencing the fullness of it, it does us little good. This prayer is a prayer for the world, that God's kingdom would come, that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, It is a prayer for the world, but it is also a prayer for our lives. It's a prayer for our homes. And I want you to picture a home, your home. Picture your home as a place where God reigns as he reigns in heaven and where God's will is done as it is in heaven. And you maybe don't live alone. You can't control all of that. But to the extent that you submit and seek God's kingdom, and you pursue his will over yours, you bring that much more joy and peace to your home. Picture that. It's amazing. Is what God wants to give us. In your life and in your home, God's will done willingly, gladly, immediately, and perfectly. Father, make it so. In a moment, I'm going to pray. But I want to give you a minute before I pray just to pray this prayer. Father, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, beginning in my heart. We need that. We need to sincerely pray that, even if we're praying that and saying, help me want it. Help me want it more than I do right now. But Father, that's what I need. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, If you're not a follower of Christ, make that your prayer. God, I want to know the truth. Reveal it to me. Let's pray. Our Father, I pray that you would see our hearts, that you would align them with yours. That as we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in my life as it is in heaven, that you will do whatever needs to be done to make that a reality. It is the desperate need of our lives and for those around us. It is for your glory to show how glorious and majestic you are. Father, do that in us, we pray, in the name of your precious Son, who made it all possible through his sacrifice. Amen.